0: Listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. well hello friends at church at the well it's good to be with you all i am grateful for the invitation that adam extended to me to be able to teach and to preach here this morning for those of you who don't know me my name is J.R. briggs and i serve on the board with uh with adam at the ecclesia network i all of my life my job is to equip and to empower leaders Uh, but i'm grateful uh, to work with the ecclesia network i'm grateful that church at the well is a part of the network i'm grateful to know and interact with your leaders adam ian abby and and others i've spent time with you all before there in burlington i wish i were up there up in burlington right now at the moment but again in all the complexities of the virus uh, this is the best that we can do so i'm at least grateful for the opportunity to be able to do this and to be with you all here this morning uh, through the pixels and through the miles. So before we jump into preaching here this morning, uh, let me pause and let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to, uh, to learn in these rhythms in such unique, uh, tumultuous, uncertain times that we can still anchor ourselves in rhythms. And Lord, we want to join with you in the invitation that you extend to us to, to, be, to experience life fully. Life as it was intended, because you created life, you created us, you know how we work and what life, what true life truly is like. And so Lord, be with us here in these next few minutes. Use my words uh, to bless my sisters and brothers across the miles. And uh, teach me in the process, because your spirit is so good at doing that. Uh, It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I understand that you've been in a series on rhythms, and Adam asked me to speak on the rhythm of celebration, and I'm very excited. I'm going to do just a quick screen share here and show you a few things. So as we think about celebration, this is really important. If we talk about celebration, we have to talk about joy. We have to talk about joy. So I want to ask you, when was the last time you celebrated someone that was truly meaningful and, and and just important to you? When was the last time you did that? I don't mean something expensive or a thousand people had to be present. When did you celebrate someone or something where you, where you said, now this is how celebration should be? Maybe another question. Has there been a time in your life where you – Were celebrated, or you felt the joy of everyone else when you celebrated something. Outside the realms of the Christmas season or wedding days, Americans don't often reflect much about joy and celebration. Okay, I mean, maybe Memorial Day or Fourth of July or a 50th birthday party, or maybe in this case, an 80th or 90th birthday party. But what about the unscheduled times of celebration? When was the last time you celebrated just because? The journalist, David Brooks, he wrote that our society has become a conspiracy against joy. And right now, in the midst of the great disruption that we all know here in 2020, thousands of deaths due to the virus, 40 million unemployed in the pandemic, racial uh, injustice, protests, riots across the country, there's so much heaviness right now. It's somewhat odd to talk about celebration now. I've attended a funeral of someone in our church on Zoom. I've attended a wedding on Facebook Live. And I even had my doctoral graduation canceled due to the virus. So it's just an odd time to be thinking about celebration. And we may be tempted to think that joy and celebration are the last thing that we need right now, or maybe the last thing that we should be doing. But I would argue that this is the time where we need it, maybe more than any other time. Yes, we need justice and protests and wearing masks and social distancing, and all those things are important. I mean, there's not even a baseball season or concerts to give us opportunities to celebrate right now. But we need not create a binary world that is either or um, in this time. We don't need to choose between being all serious and all celebratory. The poet, uh, Cabril Gabran he said, some of you say joy is greater than sorrow, and others say, nay, sorrow is the greater, but I say unto you, they are inseparable. They are inseparable. We seem to live with the assumption that joy is something that happens to us, but we can actually cultivate and practice joy, and a byproduct of joy, of course, is celebration. Now i want to share you share with you a little bit of the story of the Renew community here on the north side of Philadelphia and uh we we it's important for us to cultivate joy and celebration even when it doesn't make sense. uh one Sunday morning last December, our church here, uh Renew, explored the topic of joy together of celebration and Ben, one of our pastors, he's thoughtful and he re- he's reserved. He really preached the hell out of joy. And I mean that in the most theological sense possible. He didn't just preach it. He embodied it. He pushed back the darkness, not only in what he said, but how he preached on it. Because I think the evil one just so wants to rob us of our joy. See, Ben is incredibly reserved. And he would never be described as being very emotive. He's a very good pastor, but nobody would accuse him of talking too much. And right in the middle of his sermon, in talking about joy, he did a few cartwheels and front roll somersaults up front. And it sent his lapel mic just flying into the first few rows. Those of us that know Ben's stoic demeanor, I mean, we were utterly shocked, but Ben was right. Simply talking about joy and celebration wasn't enough. Now, our church gathers in the gym of a very drafty uh, Boys and Girls Club at the center of our little community of Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and at the end of the sermon, Ben requested that all of us stand up, and then he said, I'd like you to push your folding chair against the wall of the gym. And with the whole space cleared, we could only do what joy necessitates when we respond to a God who's blessed us so much. We had a dance party right in the middle of church. As the worship band played, grinning, grown-ups high-fived, linked arms, and jumped around up and down. Children's, children grabbed the hands of others and twirled in circles, and we sang songs of praise to God our Father. It was amazing. Halfway through the second song, I shed my zipped up fleece because I was sweating through my shirt. As people were receiving the communion elements that day, they just called out, thank you, Jesus. And during the final song, we heard the loud pops of confetti cannons exploding in the gym. And we left. We felt the confetti descending on our heads like colorful dry snow. I turned to my dance partners and I said, now this is joy. This is what it means to celebrate. Now, for those of you who might be a little more stoic and reserved, the whole ordeal, I assure you, was entirely appropriate. Uh, those, uh, These were not just over-the-top ecclesial theatrics meant to wow or some sort of sensational effects designed to impress. It was simply the most natural and sensible overflow of what joy looked like that morning. We were convinced that joy, true, relentless, hope-filled joy, necessitates this kind of of celebration this reaction when we're written into a story as great as the one that God has penned and after the dance party my friends Rick and Becky they bent down and they stooped up scooped up handfuls of confetti from the gym floor and they stuffed their pockets with them they along with their two young sons created a christmas ornament by placing the tiny shreds of colorful paper inside of a clear plastic bulb, and they wrote the date on it, and they hung it on the tree. They wanted to remember for years to come that God's people should, not, should be about uninhibited and energetic joy and celebration because of our story. The, the great writer G.K. Chesterton, in his classic book, Orthodoxy, he said, seriousness is not a virtue. Seriousness is not a virtue. I find it interesting that one of the primary criteria for the Roman Catholic Church, what they use to determine canonization for saints, is whether that person produced joy in others, whether others wanted to celebrate or not. I also find it interesting that in addition to prayer, the Word and the Holy Spirit, joy was one of the defining characteristics of the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. There's a lot of celebration there. See, when we read the book of Acts, you can't miss it. There was joy in the midst of miracles, healings, good news, baptisms, even in the midst of suffering they were celebrating. Joy is the aroma of God's kingdom. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is one element of the fruit or the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives. The fruit or the evidence of the Spirit, love, joy, and joy and celebration cannot be divorced. We see Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi saying that it was his joy and that they should be joyful too. They should celebrate and astonishingly, Paul wrote the letter chained to a Roman centurion in a prison cell in Rome. Unbelievable. Now I want to show you a picture of our baptisms at Renew. This is Sharon. We met Sharon. I met Sharon when she was on suicide watch, her neighbor who attended our church. She came and, uh, and, and to her house because Sharon said she was struggling and she said she was going to kill herself and swallow the pills that were in her hand. And her neighbor, Beth, called me and said, I don't know what to do. And so I rushed over to her house. That's the first time I met Sharon. Sharon started coming to our church. And then after a, a period of time, Sharon began to realize this love of God uh, could change her life. And it did. And uh, this is a picture of Sharon at a baptism service. I wish she could be a part of our baptism services. They're absolutely amazing. Uh, we We make a big party of it because we think we should. At baptisms, we strictly adhere at our church at baptisms to one and only one rule, and it's this, no polite golf claps allowed. No polite golf claps allowed. As people acknowledge their public faith in Christ, and they come up out of the water soaking wet, the angels of heaven are doing backflips, back and we can't just polite uh, you know, clap politely like, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so wonderful. No, we've got to go nuts. And we do. And we beat the snot out of drums and djembes. We blow air horns and whistles and vuvuzelas until we feel lightheaded and roar with shouts of joy until we're on the verge of losing our voices. But we're all convinced that it's worth it because joy needs to be uncorked When the spiritual stakes are this high. Now tell me, what's more significant than these kind of public declarations of people wanting to follow Jesus? All of it. The dance party, the confetti cannons, the air horns blasting at baptisms. They all help our little community cultivate and embody uninhibited joy to engage in the rhythm of celebration. All of it all of it is important. If baptism is the bold announcement over the public address system that one's crossing of the Rubicon, then an authentically incandescent response seems reasonable. We've got to celebrate like that. Now, you may be hearing all this and say, wow, I mean, okay, that's great. But, Jarrah, we don't shoot off confetti cannons during worship at our church, nor do we blow air horns during baptisms. And quite frankly, we don't plan on starting that anytime soon. And if you think that our church is half-crazed, well, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. But hold my drink while I throw up my hands in celebration and dance with others, and then I'll tell you straight up that you're missing out on something really big because joy and celebration are the primary colors in God's kingdom. We take joy seriously because we're playing for keep, keeps. We pop the corks and go nuts for the things that matter most. Now, I want to I teach you uh, a, a word here. This is the word perichoresis, and it looks misspelled, but it's Greek. And perichoresis, peri, where we get perimeter, means around. Choresis, where we get choreography, dance, it means to dance around, to dance around in a circle. Another way to put it is you could say the divine dance. Now, the perichoresis is used to describe the triune God, the, the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I think it's wonderful that this theological word, perichoresis, is used to describe God. Father, Son, and Spirit dancing. Why? Because they celebrate. And if they're dancing, then we can assume confidently that there's a dance floor, and we might as well join God, Father, Son, and Spirit out on the dance floor. As St. Augustine said, one of the most important Christian thinkers in the history of Christianity, he wrote that a Christian should be a hallelujah from head to foot. You know, in Luke 15, and I want to look at Luke 15 for a little bit, we read a trio of stories that Jesus tells about a lost sheep. A lost coin and a lost son. It's an it's an unbelievable set of stories. In fact, some would argue it's not three separate stories, it's one story with three different scenes, all building up to the crescendo. Now, we see this pattern in Luke 15. In Luke 15, the pattern is we see that there's a losing, there's a searching, there's then a finding of what's been lost that was valuable, and then a celebrating. Now, all three of these stories, we see this happening. Losing, searching something valuable, finding something valuable, celebrating. And all three of these stories end with a party. They end with celebration. Entire communities coming together, entire villages coming together to go nuts over something or someone worthy of being celebrated because they've been found again. In the first story, we read about a widow who loses her coins and she turns the house upside down. Finally, she finds the coin and she invites the village together to come and celebrate with me. She said, Join with me and rejoice. And in the second story, or the second part of the, the, the big story, the second scene, a shepherd loses one of his precious sheep. He goes out looking for it and he finds it and he invites everyone to come and celebrate the good news. Something that was lost has now been found. Now, many of us know that there's a third story in Luke 15, the crescendo about the story of the prodigal son. The father's response to the return of the rebellious younger son was to throw a party, kill the fattened calf, invite the entire village. And the older son comes in from the fields. And he says, what is all this partying? What is all this joyful celebration that I hear? And one of the servants says, your older brother or your younger brother has come home." And the older brother refuses to go into the party. The younger brother was being celebrated and the older brother was pouting out in the courtyard, refusing to enter. His father, the host of the party, goes out of the party, the banquet hall to greet him and tries to persuade him to join them in celebration in the hall. And he says, the father says, we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was lost and now is found. He was dead, but he's alive again. And we're never told what the older brother does. Does he join the party inside with everyone else to celebrate? Or does he sit in the courtyard, sulk and seethe and pout because he doesn't think his brother deserves celebration? By the way, do you know what the word prodigal means? We sometimes believe it means rebellious one, rebel. But it actually means something different. Prodigal means extreme waster, or squanderer which prompts the question if it's the squandering son who squandered more the younger son or the older son i used to think that the story was misnamed the prodig- should be called the prodigal sons and then i realized no it's the prodigal son i just have the wrong son who wasted more the older son who had everything? The father says, Everything I have is yours. And you haven't entered into enjoying it, embracing it, and celebrating. The older son wasted more. You see, Jesus tells these party stories to get our attention in order to say loudly and clearly, This is who the father is. Now go and party like that in my name. Joyful celebration is at the center of the heart of God. And it reminds me of a painting by Mark Keithley called uh, The Dance of Grace. Dance of Grace. I just love this. I I love that the kids involved, the look on Jesus' face, everybody's celebrating except for that one person, that one guy over on the far right. The Dance of Grace. This is the kind of Jesus, the kind of Jesus that wants to celebrate. Yes, joy sometimes is a feeling or an experience, but dig a little deeper and we'll find that it actually shows us that our desires, what our soul ultimately longs for deep down. And if we refuse to practice joy and we've, we refuse to enter into the rhythm of celebration, we find that it can actually cut us off for what we actually yearn for. We become a mirror image of the older brother in the prodigal son story All that belonged to the Father belonged to Him, and yet He couldn't do it with joy. As Christians, we want to live with such freedom and joy, as Steve Brown quipped, that uptight Christians begin to doubt our salvation. Living with joy should compel those who are not yet convinced to consider Jesus' party because of it. And they say, you know what? I got to get in on the dance floor of this. Our church has made the decision when it comes to Jesus, we've given up on decaf Christianity. We're drinking the strong stuff, baby. And this kind of practice of joy shouldn't be something we just talk about. It should be something we participate in with a full bodied, all caps yes. And I'm convinced that a church's vitality is directly related, related to its level of joy. Let me say that again a church's vitality is directly related to its level of joy. It's why C.S. Lewis wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, recently I read a piece by an author by the name of Josh Noam on why he collects images of walk-off home run hitters that are rounding third base. He does this, he said, because it's a visceral portrayal of heaven. I was so moved when I read about this practice, I've now begun collecting and storing them on my computer as well. I love the joy that exists at home plate when walk-off home runs happen. Now, my favorite story about a walk-off home run is Chicago Cubs pinch hitter David Bode. This improbable walk-off grand slam happened on August 12, 2018 at Wrigley Field to beat the Washington Nationals 4-3. to In the picture, his teammates ecstatically and impatiently are waiting for him at home plate. And when Bodie arrived at home plate, his teammates were so excited, they actually ripped the jersey right off his back. In fact, I want to strongly encourage you to find that last at bat on YouTube. It's amazing. And Noam asks three poignant questions when it comes to walk-offs. He said, why do moments like this ricochet around in our hearts? Could it be that we're made for such glory that reunion is strung through our DNA and restoration lives in our bones? Won't that be what heaven feels like coming home? Now, all of this shows us, of course, that baseball is God's game. You know, another ecclesia church is uh, called Bridge Community Church. It's in Easton, PA, about an hour north of me. And it's pastored, um, it used to be pastored by a close friend of ours, Mike Hollenbach. But when Mike would invite me to come up and preach, one of the things that was so cool is they met in a community center as well. And right uh, under where I was asked to preach when I go preach is a huge disco ball. And I just thought I was so great. I would just look up and look at this disco ball and I go, yes, this is the metaphor for the church. We should be about preaching under disco balls. We should be about the people that say, hey, based on who God is and how much we're loved, now it's our turn to go and to do this too. You see, humans are neurologically hardwired for joy. There's a part of the brain dubbed the joy center. This region regulates emotions, controls pain. And even controls your immune system. It's the only part of the brain capable of overriding the main drive centers, such as anger, food, and sexual impulses. And catch this it's the only part of the brain that doesn't lose its capacity to grow throughout our lifetimes. Joy and celebration are quite literally what we were designed to do. In fact, it's startling to realize that there were times in Scripture where God commanded his people to celebrate. Not if you feel like it, or I want to strongly encourage God-commanded celebration. Cultivating joy means that we must cultivate gratitude. In fact, gratitude must always precede joy. Benedictine monk David Stendel Rost, he stated that it is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. In fact, name a time when you were truly joyful and not also grateful. Here's a hint, you can't. So let's talk about what does this look like? How do we begin to do this? Again, yes, there is suffering in our world right now, but we must choose joy even when we've lost a job or a spouse leaves us or when our kids are making destructive choices. We can choose joy and celebrate even when our boss seems unfair and the bills don't match up at the end of the month. Yeah, joy, it's crazy, isn't it? But joy, defiant joy, is available to us even in the midst of our sorrow because joy is rooted in gratitude, and gratitude is always rooted in hope. It has to be rooted in hope. Joy is so peculiar, living between the extremes of inauthentic and annoyingly cheery happiness and chronic eeyore gloom. And One of the ways we can live uniquely is to live in that overlap there. Now, we know how to do this joy thing correctly because we have a model on how to do it. Jesus was willing to endure death, even death by crucifixion, because he knew the joy that would eventually be found in it. Now, it's not a rah-rah Christian pep rally kind of joy. That kind of joy is as sturdy as a cardboard box in a rainstorm. It's the kind of joy that can make us jump around with our hands in the air, smiles on our faces, even while tears Stream down our cheeks. Sorrow and also joy. Hope filled joy is the mortar that fills the cracks between the bricks of the difficult present and the victorious future. I know this series is called Rhythms. So, what might be some healthy rhythms that we could engage in? I want to give you just a few of them before we end here in just a moment. The first one is I want to encourage you to keep a gratitude journal. This is nothing new. But for the last several years, and I've learned other people doing this, for the last several years, the first thing that I do after I get my coffee in the morning is I sit down and I open my journal and I just write five things that I'm grateful for, even the small things. Because I know that gratitude cultivates joy. Joy leads to practicing celebration. Um, and so I just do that. And instead of just listing like coffee, beautiful weather, I actually turn it into a prayer. So I write number one. God, I'm grateful for my coffee this morning, or God, I'm grateful for the beautiful weather this morning. And so I'm constantly writing that out. That's really important to me. The second thing is I want to encourage you to install a bell in your house or in your church. Now that might sound kind of strange, but here in the Philadelphia area, bells are a big deal. The Liberty bell, right? Liberty, the bells are rung here for freedom. And if you go to a Phillies game, when someone hits a home run or the Phillies win, there's a ginormous bell in center field and it rings when the Phillies win or when a home run happens. Why? Because bells should be rung when people are celebrating, when there's freedom and when there's joy and celebration. And so my family and I really thought about this because we want to be living lives of freedom and of celebration. And so I just went on to Amazon and I ordered a bell, a dinner bell, and I screwed it into the wall right next to um, our chalk wall and right next to our dining room area. And this is really important for us. And we basically tell our family, when you've experienced joy and you need to share it, joy needs to be shared. You stand under the bell and you call everybody together and say, hey, I've got something I need to share, or I need to brag on somebody else and celebrate them. You stand under it, you explain it and you ring that bell, and we all go nuts. It sounds simple, but it's a beautiful spiritual practice for us to be able to celebrate together by ringing a bell. The third thing is I want to just encourage you to ask this question, who or what needs to be celebrated? What if your family or what if Church at the Well regularly ask the question, who can we celebrate this week or this month? What if you set aside money in your budget, either as a family or as a church, for celebration? Again, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people every year to set aside money to to, to party. It was a command to set aside 10% of their annual GDP for parties. And by the way, it included in there to make sure there was not just drink, but it says strong drink. Now think of it. God commanded celebration. What would it look like if your family did that and if the church did that? The the fourth thing is, let go of your fear of other people's opinions of you. The Episcopal priest, Robert Farrar uh, Capon, in his book Between Noon and Three, he wrote this. He said, the church by and large has had a poor record of encouraging freedom. She has spent so much time inculcating in us the fear of making mistakes, that she has made us like ill-taught piano students. We play our songs, but we never really hear them, because our main concern is not to make music, but to avoid some flub that will get us in trouble. The church has been so afraid we will lose sight of the need to do it right, that it has made us care more about how we look than about who Jesus is. I really want to encourage us to let go of that fear. Will people think you're crazy when you celebrate? Maybe. Will they think that you're not as dignified as you should be? Quite possibly. But you know what? When we follow Jesus, we have all the right in the world to go nuts, to live in freedom, and to invite other people onto the dance floor. And lastly, I want to leave you with this, is that you would be people of blessing. So when you think of others. I want you to think about how do you bless and celebrate other people? Who are the people that could be blessed? And it very simply, you could say this, you know, pick of someone's name, Sally. I want to bless you for who you are. We need to celebrate you. Or I thank God for the blessing that you are. So we want to bless you right now and go nuts in the name of Jesus by just celebrating you. So I want to end by asking just a few questions questions, like the older brother in the prodigal son story in Luke 15. What blocks your joy? What is it exactly that keeps you from experiencing joy? What holds you back? And what if joy was the tangible expression that made following Jesus so darn attractive to outsiders? What if people, when asked how they came to faith in Christ, said that the primary reason was because of the effusive joy? they saw in followers of jesus well it's been such a joy to be with you church at the well so grateful for you all so grateful for your leaders i want to encourage you lean in and celebrate and practice joy because you can push back the darkness when you do that god bless and bless god thank you for listening to our podcast Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.